Section 56 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Larry Wilson. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis de Ségur. Miraculous Conversion of St. Paul. Herod Agrippa, the king of the Jews, and the high priest also, watched carefully for every opportunity of persecuting the apostles and those who believed on their word. They found only two faithful, a servant and ally, and a young man of Tarsus named Saul, the same who had taken charge of the garments of those who stoned the deacon Stephen. And to him they gave full liberty to persecute the disciples of Jesus Christ. We learn from himself that at Jerusalem he went from house to house to all those who were suspected of Christianity, and dragging away those men and women who confessed the faith, committed them to prison, and framed decrees against them, which he hastened to put into execution. One day, when he was wholly occupied with his projects against the disciples of Jesus Christ crucified, he learned that at Damascus a large number of Israelites had forsaken the law of Moses to follow Jesus Christ. He went immediately to the high priest and asked for letters to Damascus, and to the synagogues, so that he should possess liberty to seize the Christians and bring them bound to Jerusalem. His proposition was accepted, and he set out for Damascus, accompanied by others in an official position who were under his orders. As a tiger thirsting for blood rushes upon a sheepfold, even so did Saul now press forward on his errand, breathing only carnage, when suddenly he was stopped in the midst of his journey. At midday, he said himself when relating his conversion to King Agrippa, Suddenly from heaven there shone round about me a great light, and falling on the ground I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, and go to Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things that thou must do. And whereas I did not see for the brightness of that light, being led by the hand by my companions, I came to Damascus. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the street that is called Straight, and seek in the house of Judas one named Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that invoke thy name. And the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for this man is to me a vessel of election, to carry my name before the Gentiles, and kings and the children of Israel. And Ananias went his way, and entered into the house, and laying his hands upon him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus hath sent me, he that appeared to thee in the way as thou camest, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it were scales, and he received his sight, and rising up he was baptized. 
The conversion of St. Paul, of which the historical accuracy is incontestable, proves the divinity of Christianity by two of the most striking miracles that it is possible to conceive. We see first the outward miracle, as we have just related it, and secondly the inward miracle. For St. Paul went forth from Jerusalem, breathing fury against Christians, and desiring nothing but their death. And suddenly we behold that his every thought has changed, and that his very nature appears altered. He becomes a Christian, and one of the most intrepid apostles of Jesus Christ. Such a change constitutes a miracle no less wonderful than the first. For if it is contrary to the moral constitution of man to pass suddenly and without any motive from an implacable hatred to an ardent love, it is still more extraordinary when the most powerful motive still exists to inflame the fury of a persecutor. And without doubt, most powerful were the motives which all combined to deter Saul from such a change. First, the love of his nation and his religion, for he loved the Jews and was deeply attached to Judaism. Second, his own personal interest, his worldly prospects, which were brilliant in the extreme, all depended upon his remaining a Jew. He had gained the protection of the princes and magistrates of his nation by his zeal against the Christians, whilst by his conversion to Christianity he had nothing to hope from the apostles, who were detested, despised, poor, ignorant, timid, whose master had died ignominiously, and whose whole undertaking seemed now on the point of being entirely overthrown by the princes and magistrates leagued against them. Far from having anything to hope for, he knew well that he was devoting himself to ignominy, to torments, to persecutions, even to death, since that was the lot of the early Christians. He would have even more to fear than others, because the Jews would regard him as a traitor who had betrayed them by asking for letters which would enable him to persecute the Christians of Damascus. Therefore, it is clearly evident from all these considerations that the fact of the conversion of St. Paul, notwithstanding all the powerful motives which he had to persevere in Judaism, includes two striking miracles which proved the divinity of Christianity. Thus Jesus Christ, by his almighty power, made of St. Paul that vessel of election whose ardent zeal to proclaim the Christian faith soon spread throughout the nations of the earth. He is justly called the great apostle of the Gentiles. End of section 56